this afternoon we continue our sermon series through the canons of Dort. And now we will confess uh, the canons of Dort um, articles 11, or rather A through 11 of Head 1. And these are a bit lengthy, so allow me to read these for you. <clears throat> Article 8. This election is not of many kinds. It is one of the same election for all who were to be saved in the Old and New Testament. For Scripture declares that there is a single good pleasure, purpose, and plan of God's will, by which He chose us from eternity, both to grace and to glory, both to salvation and to the way of salvation, which He prepared in advance for us to walk in. Election, or rather, Article 9. This same election took place not on the basis of foreseen faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, or of any other good quality and disposition, as though it were based on the prerequisite cause or condition in the person to be chosen, but rather for the purpose of faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, and so on. Accordingly, election is a source of each of the benefits of salvation, faith, holiness, and the other saving gifts, and at last eternal life itself, flow forth from election as its fruits and effects. As the Apostle says, He chose us not because we were, we were, but so that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Article 10. But the cause of this undeserved election is exclusively the good pleasure of God. This does not involve His choosing certain human qualities or actions from among all those possible as a condition of salvation, but rather involves His adopting certain particular persons from among the common mass of sinners as His own possession. As Scripture says, The children were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad. She, Rebecca, was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Also all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Article 11 Just as God himself is most wise and changeable, all-knowing and almighty, so the election made by him can neither be suspended nor altered, revoked or annulled. Neither can his chosen ones be cast off, nor their number reduced. Let's pray. Father, as we can uh, continue to consider the doctrine of election, uh, please illumine our minds to its profundity, of its, uh, the fact that it is biblical. Help us to know what this means, understand it, and as always, help us to hear the law and the gospel in this sermon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The uh, scripture lesson comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. That is found on page 944 of your Pew Bibles. Once again, we hear God's word from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, 
and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. For he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Word of God so far, Congregation of Christ and Friends. Last week, when we looked at Articles 6 and 7 of Head 1 of the Canons of Dort, we understood how election is God's decree. God's decrees include creation, providence, and predestination. A decree is an exact command that cannot be undone. It's God's absolute command. And so election, you see, is a part of predestination. It's something that God uh, commands, says will be so, and nothing changes that. And that is why uh, Paul is so full of hope here with his words. If you are God's elect, nothing can change that. What God says is and will be. But we also have made it very clear that election is something hidden from us. Salvation is revealed... Uh, God's election, we say, is a hidden decree. Now, we know that those in the church, we presume to be elect. Uh, But we can't go out into the world and say, this person's elect, that person isn't elect. We say that those within the church are the elect of God. Again, a simple definition of election. The unchangeable uh, purpose of God, whereby he has chosen from the whole human race a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ. 
So it's God choosing some people out of the fallen mass of humanity to be his own. So the, uh, can, or the canons say that uh, perverse and pure and stable minds twisted, uh, that is the, the uh, doctrine of election, and pious souls find it to provide unspeakable comfort. Well, therefore we will uh, continue our discussion uh, this afternoon in Articles 8 through 11. And uh, we will look at the particulars of election, especially the idea of the foreknowledge of God. What do we mean by that? Um, typically, as we'll see in a minute, people really twist this to a different meaning than the word uh, says in the Bible. And also, typically, when we use that word in our, our common parlance, we think, well, we know something beforehand. So it's uh, prescience, you know, something that we know uh, that happens before it does. That's not what we mean by foreknowledge, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, but the way we'll organize this is that in the back of each one of the head, heads of doctrine, there's a section called rejection of errors. So we have to remember that the Canons of Dort is a response document. There were heretics during this time who were saying all these crazy things about God. And when the... the um, the ministers, theologians of others in the 16th century wrote up the canons of Dort. They said, here's what we're responding to. So with Article 8, it stems from a very uh, serious error that's mentioned in Rejection of Errors Number 2. It says that there are various kinds of election. This is what the Arminians were saying. There are various kinds of election of God unto eternal life. One is general and indefinite, and the other particular and definite. And that the latter, that is the particular one, in turn is two things. It is either incomplete, revocable, non-decisive, and conditional, or number two, complete, irrevocable, decisive, and absolute. Likewise, that there is one election unto faith, this is what the Arminians are saying, and another unto salvation, so that election can be unto justifying faith without being a decisive election unto salvation. Now, if you can understand that, you're pretty smart. Just reading it, you see how complex the language is of, and what was going on. And by the way, we have catechetical sermons like this to be very clear and precise about theological terms, uh, theological grammar. Um, it's very important. You have to make very fine distinctions. But often you'll notice in church history that the church is falling or standing on these fine distinctions. So it's impossible in a sermon, and it's way too unwieldy to try to figure out all the particulars of the rejection of errors. Uh, we won't do that. But it's there in the canons of door for you to read and study over time. But this is all we want to reduce it to. Rejection of errors number two is saying that the Arminians have two decrees of election. One is general and one is particular. When they say general, they mean that God's eternal decree of election was not concerned with, uh, with which persons would be saved, but which conditions people had to meet in order to be saved. So when they say general election... They say that God had all of these possibilities 
of conditions of salvation. It could be faith, it could be works, it could be paying money, it could be anything. But God's election to their minds means that God elected out of all of those things faith. So when the Arminians said general election, they meant that God chose faith as a condition. Okay, that's the first decree of election. The second is called particular election. So whether a person's election is incomplete uh, or complete, revocable or irrevocable, depends on the person. Said the Arminians this, God before the foundation of the world, having determined that faith was a criterion for election, remember that's general election, looked into the future and saw who would have faith. Those whom God saw would decide to believe, God decided to elect. This is election on the basis of foreseen faith. Those who would meet the condition of faith were elected or written into God's book. Okay, so the first decree is called general. The second decree of election is called particular. Now, what the Arminians believe by this is that God looks down the corridor of time and sees that um, Ronnie, Donnie, Ricky, and Mike will all have faith, right? They will believe in Jesus. Therefore, God says, I will elect Ronnie, Donnie, Ricky, and Mike because they will have faith in me. That's what the Arminians are saying and that's what we are rejecting. And then they go on to uh, explain that sometimes people meet this condition of faith temporarily and they fall away from the faith and other people do not or do meet the conditions of faith and are elected to the end. So there's, there's more to it. Basically, they're saying that you could lose your election. Which we say, no, that's not what the scriptures say. Response uh, to the rejection of errors in our canons of Dort. It says, for this is a fancy of men's minds, invented regardless of the scriptures, whereby the doctrine of election is corrupted, and this golden chain of our salvation is broken. Scriptures say, what? Whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called... There he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And so that's why um, article number 8 of our confession says, no, there's one decree of election. And so you see, you have to understand the debate, what the Arminians were saying to understand what article 8 is talking about. When you first read it, you say, what do you mean there's not election of many different kinds, there's one election. Well, now you understand, the Arminians are saying, no, there are different kinds of election. We say, no, the scriptures talk about one kind of election. Okay, article number nine. A background to this is rejection of errors, paragraph four, and rejection of errors, paragraph five. Again, if I were to read this to you in one reading, it sounds very confusing. So basically, number four says the Arminian stated in the error that election is based on a person's character. And number five addresses the Arminian category of particular or definite election, which said that election could be revocable or irrevocable. So basically, the Arminian bases election on the condition of a person's worthiness. They don't think election begins and ends with God, but is conditioned by who people are. So we reject that. But what's very interesting is that in our own experience in life, isn't it true, this is how we operate. 
I mean, you base a decision about a person on what you know about them. Do they have good character? Um, I mean, think of, think, okay, you own a company and you have a spate of different applicants. You invite them in, uh, you interview them, you will choose certain ones based on their character. We all understand this. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should do that. The problem in is the Arminians and many people today take that whole context and they impute that upon God, saying, well, God surely must choose some people based on their worthiness, how they will act, how honest they will be, and then God will choose those people. And our uh, articles say no. That's not true at all. So article number nine, you see, that we read already, is all about how election is not based on foreseen faith. Now, how do they get this? And this is where it gets interesting because we hear these debates today on different uh, scriptural passages. So, for instance, First uh, Peter 1 and uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 are thought of examples of God knowing before as God knowing what uh, one would choose. And on this basis, God chooses a person. So, people take these texts, First uh, Peter 1, Romans 8.29, saying, oh, this proves that God sees in the future and he chooses based on that uh, person's character. So, First Peter 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, uh, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So what happens is people seize on the statement, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, and they say, well, there you go. What's there a debate about? He says these people are elect based on the foreknowledge of God. God chooses those people based on what he knows about them. False. Uh, One person points out that the meaning of foreknowledge here is clear from the context and means God's previous commitment to elect some. So listen to the rest, a little bit of the rest of this passage. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So notice, what is uh, foreknown in this section is Christ himself. And just as we are objects of the Father's foreknowledge in verse 2, so here it is the Father who foreknew Christ because he was foreknown from all eternity. So basically, uh, foreknowledge and election here are synonymous. So Peter's words in context teach us that faith is the goal of God's foreknowledge and faith then cannot be a basis for God's choosing. Now even more interesting is Romans 8.29. Now listen again to this uh, verse through the eyes of the Arminian, the ears of the Arminian, um, and how they think about election being based on Uh, foreknowledge. Paul says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
Again, listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And so the Arminian says, why are we having this debate? It says right here in the Word of God. He foreknew these people, then he predestined them. But, to foreknow here means to enter into a relationship with before or chose before. It is a word made up of a verb to know with a prefix for. And by the way, if you look at all the major uh, Greek dictionaries, lexicons, and 95% of the commentaries in Roman, Romans, despite their theological flavor, they will tell you that this word means not to foreknow in the future, but to choose. That's a very interesting uh, observation to make. And so the prefix for, for knowledge, simply indicates time of action. To know here in the Greek parallels a frequently used word in the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, the word to know. In the Hebrew Old Testament, it gives a sense of a relationship as in a covenant relationship. So again, it's very hard for us because we think, oh, foreknowledge, that means that somehow we, ha- we, we can mystically look into the future and know what will happen. Um, you know, the horse races or the stock market. Some people seem to have this sort of foreknowledge. That's not what God means here. Well, one person points out that this is not mere cognition, just thinking, but means a relationship through a covenant commitment. Therefore, uh, there is an uh, agreement between the Old and New Testaments in the usage of the word to know that when the New Testament uses the equivalent for the Old Testament word to know, it means the same thing. One example, as this person points out, is when Jesus reveals his future response to false disciples at the Last Judgment when he says this in Matthew 7.23, I never knew you Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. Clearly, mere intellectual cognition is ruled out as a meaning of no here, since it is precisely commitments that leads to their condemnation. Rather, he says that these people never had covenantal relations uh, with him. The Good Shepherd did not know them as his sheep and they did not know him. And so in summary, Romans 8.29 means that God has foreknown us or chose us before the foundations of the world and on that basis predestines us, what? To be conformed to the image of a son. So it's funny how we'll stop. You know, pauses are important and that's why we say that reading uh, the word of God is a ministerial act in church. You can't stop at the word predestined. They're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that word predestined there is very specific about uh, one being sanctified. Foreknown means elect. God chose people to be uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, you see. If you understand it in that way, it's very clear. Um, Rome, uh, rather, Article 10 uh, is all about election not based on human qualities, but God's good pleasure. And so this is why Article 10 uh, mentions the destiny of Jacob and Esau were decided before they were born. And so God does not see anything 
uh, in us by which to choose. That is the point of Article 10. Again, oftentimes we think it's looks, intelligence, income producing potential, a good heart, kindness, or whatever. Uh, that is why uh, God chooses us. Why would He choose one person and not another? But Article 10 is saying, no, the scriptures are very clear that God chooses for His own good pleasure, uh, for reasons secret to us, and that's how God is. It's not revealed why He's chosen one person and not another. Well, finally, Article 11, a little background, rejection of errors, paragraph 6, says, We reject the errors of those who teach that not every election unto salvation is unchangeable, but that some of the elect, um, any decree of God notwithstanding, can yet perish and do indeed perish. Now, there's no comfort in this, is there? Uh, if the elect can fall away from God, then there's no comfort. If somebody is an elect person, they cannot lose their election. Now, can somebody uh, come to faith, come into the church, uh, be a part of the church, and taste the powers of the age to come, as the author of Hebrews says, and walk away from the church, walk away from salvation? Yes. Scriptures are very clear about that. But if they have left us, they were never a part of us, John says. If that is that they remain recalcitrant, never coming back into the church. But what's interesting is that sometimes people, when they do leave the church like that, and you consider them not to be Christians any longer, actually do come back into the church. They repent. And so you don't say to that person that they left us, they were never a part of us. They've come back to us, they've repented. Nothing changes in election. What changes is what's revealed, what has happened to their faith. But that person, if they do come back, comes back precisely because they are the elect of God. And so there's the comfort. And so even you will hear about people leaving the church, denying Christ, going away... You never stop praying for them. You never stop hoping for them. We pray for um, our lost friends and family in the church. Why? Because we don't know if they are God's elect or not. That's God's decision. But what God says is you pray for those people that do not know Christ. Pray that the Spirit will work in their hearts. That is your duty. It's not your duty to try to figure out are they elect or not. That's God's hidden decree, you see. If they are elect, they will come into a true church. If they are not elect, they won't. But actually, sometimes there are people that are non-elect that end up in the church. And that's why we say that there is a mixture of uh, wheat and tares. But again, it's not our duty to figure out all of that even. That's why there's a final judgment. So, uh, we conclude, uh, brothers and sisters, with these great words from Christ in John 10. Uh, verses 27 through 29 my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen now let us close this Lord's day with prayer O Lord, we hardly know um, words of greater comfort than these uh, and and the gospel, that you love us, you have chosen us, uh, you have saved us through the precious blood of Christ, and no one, nothing, neither height nor depth, nothing can separate us from Christ's hand. Uh, Thank you, Father, for that comfort, and may that warm our hearts this day. 
as we seek to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now let us return our thanks to our gifts and offerings during this time.